Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hello, everyone. Today, we're discussing the latest residential real estate data across the Vancouver region for October 2021. We'll focus on three key insights. Housing supply is lower than it appears. Prices are once again surging and interest rates are on the rise. My name is Justine Liu, a managing broker at Rennie, and joining me today, as always, is Ryan Berlin, Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence, Ryan Wise, our Senior Analyst of our Intelligence Division, and I'm also excited to welcome Nagib Karim, a Rennie advisor who has been with Rennie for the past 10 years and specializes in the Vancouver, Burnaby, and Fraser Valley market with tons of experience in the project sales side. Welcome, everyone. Hey, welcome. Justine. Hey, Hi, Justine. Welcome, Nagib. Hi, how are you guys all doing today? Good. Good. Great. So we've just passed Halloween. We are into November now, and we have exciting announcements. Ryan, Ryan Wise. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Wise. Just Ryan Wise. Yeah, yeah, exciting announcement with Ryan. He just welcomed a new baby. Congrats. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Baby number two. Elliot's healthy, doing well. Family's excited. Amazing. Tired. Tired, yeah. of course. <laughs> yep. We were just joking before this, wondering, do you even know where you are? <laughs> what time is it? Yeah. What day is it? <laughs> what month are we in? <laughs> But it's great to have you all here today sitting um, and discussing the new intel for October. And we're really excited to have you, Nagib. Thanks for having me. So let's go into our insight number one. When it comes to supply of housing in Vancouver region, there's less than meets the eye. There are over 10,700 listings in Vancouver region in October, the lowest for any October ever. So 10,007 sounds like a lot of listings. How is this amount the lowest ever in previous Octobers? It's true. It definitely needs context. 10,700 can be a lot of some things and not a lot of other things, I suppose. So so just to put that number into context, that 10,700 listings at the end of October, this is across the Vancouver region. So just to clarify once again for our listeners, The Vancouver region for us here includes the Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley board areas combined. So we're talking about more or less, you know, Howe Sound down through Abbotsford and uh, Mission. So that 10,700 available homes for purchase is 41% below where we were last year. Uh, So that's a significant change over the course of 12 months. It's also close to 50% below the typical listings count for October. Um, And then if we look at it even in a more recent context, um, we look at the changes, sort of those seasonal changes between September and October. Um, Typically, like in a normal year on average, let's say, um, we see inventory contract by 4%. We we see that sort of progress through the end of the year, that there's sort of fewer and fewer listings. People aren't that inclined to list their home towards the end of the year. They have other priorities, and they're kind of looking ahead to the new year at that point. Um, so a 4% decline typically between September and October, and this year we saw a 15% decline. So it's, sort, it's one of those things where no matter what way you cut it, um, we are seeing a limited number of listings. Um, we track the data on a daily basis, so we're now, what, a week into November, and the listings have fallen even further to under 10,400. So we've shed about 300 listings from the available supply of homes just in the past week or so. Um, we've seen now six months through, um, if, if the trend for November holds, November will be the sixth straight month where um, we see um, supply decrease 
And November is on track to be the most constrained November we've ever experienced. So following on the heels of October and September, a similar story. And so what's actually really interesting to me about this <clears throat> is when we look at it in a longer term context, so all the way back to 1989, that's not a particularly special year, but that's mm -hmm. the year, that's, that's as far back as we have inventory data for the Vancouver region. This is the lowest October inventory count that we've ever seen. And so just to add a layer of um, intrigue to it all, <laughs> um, or another interesting sort of contextual piece, between 1989 and 2021, so this year, so over that 32-year period, this region has obviously grown a lot. So we've added 1.3 million people to the region over that period of time. Wow. And if you just divide out, like just assume two, two and a half people per household, we're talking about in the realm of, you know, half a million additional homes. So the number of homes, like built structures in this region, mm -hmm. is way bigger today than it was in 1989, yet we have way fewer homes available for purchase. And it's wow. funny you mentioned the time of year and the numbers, like the 10,700 listings. Uh, that conversation that you have with sellers or that, that, that we as agents have with sellers nowadays, it's not necessarily about having the right timing because with the inventory numbers so low, you can kind of go to market whenever you want, especially in time like this, and mm -hmm. you're still going to get the eyes of everyone on you mm -hmm. because of the demand that's out there. Totally, totally. And I think we'll touch on the demand a little bit further in a moment. But yeah, there, there is so much unmet demand out there, yeah. right? So regardless, it, it's sort of, it, it's irrelevant that it's the end of the year, yeah. typically associated with, you know, less activity. Yeah. Even but, going into a long weekend, like people would, would typically be like, ah, you know, it's a long weekend. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go look at any open houses. And, and, you know, as an advisor, I would typically advise my sellers, let's not do an open house mm -hmm. over the weekend. We're not going to get that much traffic. But that's, that's out the door now. You want to be doing the open house because there's still going to be traffic regardless of if it's a long weekend or not. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of like the, you know, what I just described is the, is the high level context for the region. What we're seeing when we, when we zoom in a little bit closer to, you know, different parts of the region, we're seeing the biggest declines in inventory on a year over year basis in areas or submarkets that tend to be a little bit more affordable. So we were talking about Abbotsford, Surrey, Port Moody, and, and even Coquitlam. Um, we're talking in the realm of 50 to, six, 50 to 56% lower inventory in October than at the same time last year. Mm. So where we're seeing um, less inventory pressure in a way, so lower uh, declines, lesser declines in inventory on a year-over-year -year basis, is in those markets that tend to be a little bit more expensive. So we're talking about East Van, West Van, the West Side. We're talking about inventory changes that are between uh, or declines that are between 14 and 31% down versus last year. So those are still like, those are still big numbers. Those we're not talking, we didn't have a surplus of inventory last year. So we are seeing inventory down in every single submarket mm -hmm. or every, you know, essentially neighborhood in the region more or less and and you can you can basically you know you know attach the more or less to um uh, either more affordable neighborhoods or less affordable neighborhoods but yeah. i know rye you, you've been digging into the data and parsing it by price point mm -hmm. and you found some interesting stuff in yeah there. so when we look at if if um the inventory has been really declining in some of the more affordable areas if we start to look at the data um through different price bands we kind of see that same that same trend pick up 
Um, so one of the things we looked at is we broke it out um, properties below a million dollars, one to one point five million dollars, one point five to two, and then two million plus. And we see the obviously the bulk of the sales come in at under one million dollars still. So in October, about fifty percent. 57% of sales uh, were in the under 1 million, another 20% in the sort of 1 to 1.5, and then uh, 1.5 to 2 is about 13, and then just 11% in the 2 million plus. Um, and what we find is that inventory levels don't match that. So mm -hmm. there's a lot more inventory available in the more expensive price point. So in that 2 million plus, it's about a third of the available inventory, and only about 39% of the available inventory coming in at under $1 million. So one of the calculations we like to do um, to, to sort of measure market is the sales to listings ratio. And so what that brings us to, we've talked about the market as a whole being a, a real seller's market. Um, and the, the way we measure that is anything above 20% sales to listings ratio constitutes a seller's market. And right now for the whole region, for all price points, all product types, we're at about 48%, which is a very <laughs> deep seller's mm -hmm. market at yeah. this point. And when we break that down by price point, it's uh, it gets a little wilder. So under a million dollars is up to 69%, which is um, pretty wild. Uh, under so the one point one to one point five comes in around fifty nine percent, and um, when you get to that over two million dollars, just seventeen percent, which we actually classify as a balanced market. So there's a lot more opportunities for buyers at that price point. Unfortunately, for most buyers, that's not something they can afford. Most buyers come in yeah. under under one point five million dollars. So if you just look at over and under one point five million, it's about 77% of sales under 1.5 million, but only 55% of inventory is there. So when we say inventory is constrained, well, it's that much more constrained for that that segment, that three quarters of buyers out there. There's mm -hmm. there's far fewer uh, homes available for sale at any given time. So in a give, I'll, I'll sort of turn it to you and say like, how do you manage uh, buyer expectations, how do you help them sort of navigate this really yeah. tricky market right now? Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, obviously <clears throat> with real estate, there's a, there's emotion involved as well. And so you mm -hmm. have to, you have to be mindful of that and, and sort of, uh, you're almost like a counselor sometimes to, to, to your clients. Uh, what helps is data like this because, uh, buyers and sellers will have their own opinion of where they think the market is because they're reading the headlines. Um, we have the ability to give them the data and, and show them, look, although your expectations are, you know, X, um, we sort of see something a little bit different where it's more so a hybrid of X and Y sort of blended together. Uh, so the biggest thing I think for sellers is understanding what their motivation to sell is why they're selling and then what their timeline looks like and what their next step looks like. If they already have something in place, um, great. Then, you know, we can take sort of a different approach uh, with them and, and managing their expectations. But um, I've found lately, just given the numbers that have been put out by the intelligence department with the constrained inventory and, you know, all that kind of the, the demand, um, so with the recent numbers that you guys came out with, um, you know, with the sales to listing ratio, but also just the, the, the inventory and, and whatnot that's out there, um, you know, for example, sellers have a different expectation because they've been talking to their friends, uh, their friend mm -hmm. in a different area sold their home and they got, you know, six figures over asking or, you know, double digits over asking or whatever. But 
we, you know, I come into the conversation and I say, that's fantastic. And then I have sort of have to break it down for them, just similar to how we broke down that, that number of just over 10,000 homes currently listed right now, you got to break it down for them and whatnot. So you, when managing my clients' expectations, I really have to dive into the data. Um, I really like, uh, Bob saying of, uh, you know, don't be a seller, be a teller. Um, if mm-hmm. my clients don't, you know, appreciate what I'm telling them, um, that's, that's their prerogative and that's fine. Um, but I'm confident because I have the data to back it up. Right. Um, for a buyer, uh, the, I think the biggest thing for me that I found, uh, in terms of giving them advice is outline what your, your, your purpose of purchasing the home is, right? What are your intentions and what does your timeline look like? I always like to look at real estate from a buying perspective or even selling, um, in five year sort of increments, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like a business mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with that real estate over the, in the, the next five years? And when that five years is up, what happens then? Are you going to, are you able to make a decision on, eh, I could stay there for another five years or two years or three years, or, uh, you know, are you, are you intending on taking another step and, and, you know, selling it or renting it out, keeping it as part of your portfolio or your growing portfolio, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so once I can figure that out with them and I can figure out what their, their, their motivation is and what their plan is for, um, uh, for purchasing a home, you know, then I can sort of guide them accordingly and tell them, you know, the biggest thing regardless of what your your motivation and what your goal is is to just be patient Mm -hmm. even in a market Mm -hmm. with not a ton of inventory patience is a virtue Um, definitely is (laughs) i've uh, you know i've learned that over my tenure with my exposure to real estate for over 20 years Uh, my mother was a realtor so i had a good mentor (laughs) when i was growing up Mm -hmm. and and i just learned that you know sort of uh, somewhat the hard way, right. By making a hasty couple of decisions here and there and <laughs> I wasn't patient. And so, you know, now I just tell my clients, just be patient, right. It'll come. Yeah. I mean, and again, this goes back to this notion that the, the, the most important thing as a, as a buyer, particularly that you keep in mind is that you need to stay within your means, right. Regardless yeah. of mm-hmm. the noise that yeah. is around you, regardless of the trajectory of the market. Yeah. Um, you don't want to get in for the, quote unquote, get in for the sake of getting in, yeah. um, you need to stay within your means. And yeah. so patience is, is key. And it, that, I mean, obviously that can be very, very frustrating yeah. and, and, and a challenge. Well, yeah. I mean, from, from, you know, from a sales perspective, of course, right. Cause you, you want to, uh, you want to, you want to get the job done and you want to be efficient and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I said a, a, a earlier on, like, managing clients' emotions and, and whatnot. We also have to manage our own emotions too, right, mm-hmm. as agents. We have to also understand that uh, there's a human aspect of this that needs to be considered. And and I've found recently just, you know, in a market like this with low inventory and, and a ton of demand that you really have to be even more patient and more understanding and uh, and confident knowing that, you know, you're going to you're going to help them achieve their real estate goals, but they just have to trust you. I've had uh, over the last few months, just I'm starting to have more and more conversations with people about altering their budget because they're very ambitious to get into the market. And yes, you know, they can afford the mortgage payment today, but we also have to look at what's going to happen in the next couple of years here, right? 
with mortgage rates. Um, there's rumors of, you know, a couple of interest bumps come, coming <gasps> down the pipe. <laughs> and that's going to affect people, right? So if you look at this kind of $1.5 million range, that's a, that's a lot of money every yes. month that you're going to have to take into account. And I'm, I may be getting out of, <laughs> you know, myself here or whatnot, but it's just kind of frontline conversations that I'm having with, with buyers and I'm having to keep sort of managing their, their, their goals and their expectations to let them know, look, mm-hmm. just let's not get ahead of ourselves because I don't want to get a call from you saying we have to sell and we have to sort of buy back down. Right. Mm-hmm. That's never what you want to do. So I think you're reinforcing the point. It's a long term decision and you yeah. need to be comfortable with that decision in the long term. Okay, so that leads us into insight number two. Prices are once again surging. The benchmark home price in Vancouver region is up between 14% for condos and 28% for houses. So Ryan Wise, we can see that prices are already quite high. What are the driving factors that contributes to the recent trend? Um, great question. So I think, first of all, we go back to insight number one. It's constrained inventory has really been the driving factor. Mm-hmm. So we know, mm-hmm. we've just been talking about it for the last few months, that there's really not a lot of product out there. Uh, so there's a lot of would-be buyers and buyers chasing fewer and fewer homes available, uh, particularly when it comes to the detached. That's the one that's uh, risen the most. We know that a lot of people really went for the the detached homes and the townhomes last year during COVID when they're they're looking for more space, trying to get away from um, the urban cores and things. So that has, those prices have driven uh, upwards a little bit more. Um, And then to top it off, there's been a really strong demand. We haven't seen sales really drop off at all through the summer. We we hovered around 5,000 sales each Mm -hmm. month for for, um, you know, each month for the last few months. So um, demand is there supply isn't there so looking at these price bands again we talked about earlier um we we ran up six months worth of data ending in october to get a bit of a larger sample size in the under 1.5 million dollar range uh it last year about 73 percent of sales took place in that range and this year it's only about 59 percent there's just fewer homes available in that under 1.5 million dollar range there's fewer homes transacting in that range there's been a huge run up in prices uh, for the detached homes, for townhomes, and into condos now too. And so we're really seeing uh, sort of more people chase less homes. And is is that uh, chase uh, that you see, I noticed like the stats here for Abbotsford and Surrey, and, and there's, a, there's a decline in year-over-year inventory in those markets. Uh, is that because a lot of that... Uh, price point category has been absorbed and those sellers that do have stuff that's in that price category are scared that they can't buy something else because that's that's what I see on the front lines is, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. you know yeah they've got a 1.5 million dollar house in Abbotsford and they're perfectly happy there but then now because they've been they haven't been traveling they've they've got more money to buy but then what do they buy if they sell this 1.5 and now they can upsize to a two million dollar house and they want to move a little bit closer in what do they buy? $1.7 million house, what do they buy? So they're not selling until they're confident that they can buy something and the inventory numbers start to climb up again. Totally, yeah. That's why I think you see, I think the lack of supply is really an impediment to us seeing more transactions, which is pretty a pretty mm-hmm. wild statement to make because we have seen, like we're on the cusp of um, 
not to give anything away from next month's podcast, <laughs> but we're on the cusp of, um, you know, hitting an all-time high for sales in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yet we know about these situations where people have made some paper gains in the value of their home yeah. and are interested in maybe making a move, but it's it's kind of a scary proposition to, hey, great, you can realize the value, the increased value of your home. It probably feels good in the short term right. until you realize where are we going to live next? Yeah. So, yeah. And that's great because that leads us right into our insight number three, which is regarding interest rates. So interest rates are rising and they will impact everyone in different ways. So, you know, we talk about the Bank of Canada rising its policy interest rates in the coming months. And in the meantime, yields of five-year government bonds have risen for less than 0.4% to more than 1.4% in the past year. So there's a lot of unpack here, Ryan. Can you break this all down for us? This is the most exciting part of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Yes, exactly. So we know that um, during the pandemic, interest rates were low for two reasons, right? The Bank of Canada lowered their policy interest rate to effectively 0%. And then they also engaged in quantitative easing, whereby they bought government debt, which helped to push the yields down on Uh, government-issued bonds, and then obviously investors as well during the pandemic with so much uncertainty were wary of risk and so also entered the government bond market. And that also, in in concert with the Bank of Canada's actions, pushed yields down that influenced things, interest rates on things like like savings accounts, car loans, home equity lines of credit, mortgages. And now as the economy has recovered, there's been a bit of an unwinding Right. So the Bank of Canada is now ending its so-called quantitative easing program. So it's not net purchasing government debt. So it's not going to be actively sort of suppressing those bond yields, those longer term interest rates. Um, And as you said, uh, Justine, that has actually pushed bond yields up. And so they've been pulling back on this quantitative easing program for a while. And it is interesting that the conversation around interest rates is often these days framed as a future a set of changes like interest rates will rise and usually that statement is made in the context of the Bank of Canada's decision to change their policy rate so a group of people like ourselves but much smarter <laughs> sitting around a table um, who who decide whether to increase their um, that that over that so-called overnight rate which most directly influences uh, things with a variable interest rate on it. So like your savings account, if you actually have an interest rate that's greater than zero on it, um, things like your home equity line of credit credit or variable rate mortgages. Um, but what we are seeing currently, like what we have seen over the past year, as you said, Justine, is a uh, hundred basis point increase in five-year government of Canada bond yields. Um, so again, part of that's actions of the Bank of Canada over the past, you know, six months. And part of it is just general investors who, instead of going for that risk-free investment, like, Hey, I don't care about like Bob Rennie has, has used this term too, where he's, where investors had said, you know, during the pandemic, I don't care about getting a return on my money. I just want the return of my money. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the yield itself yeah. was not particularly important. It was just a, it was a, it was a vehicle for retaining some value. Um, and so We've seen those rates come up. Um, that's had a knock-on, the, the bond yields, that's already had a knock-on effect for fixed-rate mortgages. Like, we know that, you know, six months ago, you know, you could you could achieve a discounted five-year fixed mortgage rate of around 1.6. Yeah. And now we're in the high 1.9. So the posted rates, obviously, are quite a bit higher than that. But most people can probably achieve in and around 
uh, 2% today. So we've already, we're starting to experience that rate inflation, so to speak. And we expect there to be uh, more in the months ahead. Um, that is going to impact, you know, in the near term, that is mostly going to impact um, people who are looking to borrow more or who are looking to get into the market. Yeah. And so we'll see how this translate on, translates on a podcast here. But we, <laughs> we, 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 put, we put a little example together here just to illustrate, you know, what a change in interest rates might, might have on the purchasing power for, um, you know, a, a particular buyer. So we've talked a lot in this podcast about this $1.5 million threshold. So let's just take that as the as the um, potential purchase price. And so if somebody's looking to to buy a home at $1.5 million, they're going to need 20% down. So they're going to come to the table with $300,000 as a down payment. So they're going to be looking for plus or minus a mortgage of about $1.2 million. If we look ahead and we say, hey, interest rates are going to rise from their current, like let's say 1.94% uh, to a 2.44%, in the next, let's say, six months. Um, so that's a 50 base, that's a half a percentage point increase. Um, what does that do to their purchasing power? So can they afford that $1.5 million home with their, their given income and with their given down payment of $300,000? The short answer is no, um, but by how much? So an increase in half a percentage point in a mortgage rate for somebody who's looking to get into the market, all else being equal, as economists say, um, <laughs> will reduce purchasing power by $66,000. So on that one point, original $1.5 million purchase price. Right. So it's about a 4.5% decline in purchasing power, which is not insignificant. But, you know, just Ryan and I were talking about this before we started recording you know, how do we, what, what do we relate to 4.4%? Well, in the Fraser Valley over the past month, the benchmark price of a detached home has gone up by two and a half percent. So really what we're talking about there, as we look out over six months and we look at a potential, you know, half a percentage point increase in, in a, in a, in, in a borrowing rate, you were talking about bringing prices back down, um, to where they were from today, two to three months ago, which, uh, is not to trivialize that. Um, but it is just to provide some some context because I think we are going to see increase, increases in interest rates um, over like we we've, they've begun they are going to continue uh, over the next two years most likely yeah but I think the important feature of them will be most likely that they are quite predictable and incremental so the Bank of Canada you know as they raise their policy rate um, and whether or not they reengage in quantitative easing or not. Um, have a distinct interest in stabilizing or keeping the Canadian economy, not necessarily housing market per se, but the economy stable. Mm -hmm. They want to keep it stable and keep and keep conditions conducive to growth. So they're going to increase rates or manage increases in interest rates in a way that they are they are manageable for most people, whether they're new buyers or existing homeowners, and that they signal as they as they look ahead to possible future changes as to what they intend to do. Um, the good, you know, the good thing is in Canada, the vast majority of homeowners are locked into a five-year fixed rate mm -hmm. term and they might, they might not, not everyone has five years left at a given point in time. So at four, three, two, one years, but the point is there is some certainty for a period of time going forward, even as rates rise 
and an opportunity for financially prudent households to plan for these rate increases. And I think that's, I mean, that whole conversation is going to be increasingly important as we yeah. move ahead. It's it's one of the, the, the more prominent conversations that I'm having with my uh, clients as well is, you know, not only are we you know, creating a roadmap to helping you achieve your real estate goals, but we also have to consider the variables. And one of the main variables is what's going to happen when interest rates rise, because they will, mm-hmm. right? And based on, <clears throat> you know, your your household income today, if that change happens the first year that you're in your home, can you afford the change in, in, in payments? Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. You want to make sure that your clients, that you and your clients are going into these 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 situations with their eyes wide open, acknowledging the headwinds that exist. Um, interest rates were not one of the headwinds a year ago. They're probably yeah. just that broader concept of uncertainty, economic uncertainty was maybe more of a prominent headwind. But there's more talk, for all of the talk of tailwinds, mostly on the demographic front, as we look a couple years ahead, interest rates seems to bubble to the top of a list mm-hmm. of headwinds. But I think there's some changes on the policy front too, Ryan, that you, one in particular that you were going to talk about a recent announcement by the provincial government. Yeah, so they're they're talking about instituting this cooling off period. Um, so when mm-hmm. a, a transaction is entered into, um, there, there's a period of time when either party can back out. So in a, in a hot market or a frenzied market like we've seen this year, gives people an opportunity to step back and say, well, did I make the right decision? Did I let emotion take over? Um, and so we're looking at this and saying, well, is this if this goes into effect, is it going to have a big impact? And I think the first thing we need to look at is which transactions does it affect? So on the pre-sale mm-hmm. side, there's already uh, a rescission period. Yeah. So that's yeah, already that's built into the system. And for the resale market, any transaction that has subjects already has that cooling off period. Right. If, you, if you do subject to strata minutes, inspection, finance, you already have that chance to say, oh, hang on a sec. Yeah. You know, if there's something I don't like about this deal, I can get back out of it. So this new policy would only impact uh, deals that happen subject free, yes. which in a uh. typical market, a more quote unquote normal market, that's not actually a huge number of transactions. This year, we've seen a lot more of them. Again, mm-hmm. back to that frenzy pace. So so if it's happening in, in transactions that are subject free, it's usually multiple offer situations. Yes. Right. And so the way we're, we've been discussing this and the way we kind of see it is it probably doesn't have a, an impact on the transaction itself. If someone backs out, there's two, three, four yeah. more people who've offered on it. That deal probably still goes through, maybe at a slightly lower price. Um, but this this policy, as we see it, is really more to um, to protect individuals and individual buyers. We don't see it as having a big impact on actual market activity because we we kind of feel that you know these these deals will still go through. It just might not be with that first or highest yeah. offer. Yeah, so that puts into perspective here that when you're actually going in in a multiple offer situation and you have subject offers and then you also have subject free offers, it really puts the subject free offers on the same level playing field as the subject mm-hmm. offers. Absolutely. Yeah, so you know there is no sure firm deal right after it's been accepted. Yeah. Right. So at that point, you know, would it be better off if you went with one that was a subject offer? At least they can do their due diligence ahead of time um, and then really go through that process and then decide whether or not they really want to remove the subjects on it as opposed to accepting something, you know, going in, saying that they did everything that they needed to and then eventually back out, right? And you just wasted your own, wasted time there. Yeah. as well and so nikia i was saying you were you probably the way you've been talking today it kind of seems like so much of your role already is uh, managing clients like you said yeah. emotions and expectations so 
I would imagine that one of the things you do is try not to get your clients into that situation right. where they're letting emotion take over and maybe yeah. entering into a deal they don't want to. So yeah. hopefully that's not something you even need to take advantage of in, in yeah. your sort of travels. No, I mean, I was recently in a situation where um, I had I had sold a property uh, in a building and um, I was contacted by another resident because, you know, I broke a record and we went into a multiple offer situation. But it was, you know, it was uh, it wasn't subject free, but it was, it was significantly higher than what the numbers were actually showing mm-hmm. uh, me in, in terms of the data and what the sale price should be. Um, so, you know, I met with the client and and. I had uh, signed the listing agreement with them, and they said, you know, when it comes down to price, here's what, here's the numbers that I'm seeing. Um, but also, I've had the opportunity of speaking with other agents in the area that do work, and just kind of pick their brain about what are their buyers' uh, concerns right now, and what what's their sort of situation. Are they fond of multiple offer situations? Have they been in them a lot? And a lot of the feedback was. Um, they're not a big fan of being forced into something just for the sake of getting their hands on it. They are more of the mindset of, I'll just take the slower approach and, you know, I don't want to be in a multiple offer situation sort of thing. So I advise my clients, like we can, we should, we can price it at what exactly the market shows us the number should be, or we can price it slightly higher and wait for that that market to come to us and we can negotiate down. But I said, I'm getting the the feedback from, from the general sort of people that I've spoken with that they don't like that multiple offer situation. So I would recommend let's do it first come first serve. You see it? You like it, you write the offer. It doesn't have to be subject free. And and I never encourage anyone to write subject free because I always want to, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're not, you know, my my buyer, I still you still have to protect yourself. We're not buying socks and underwear here. We're mm-hmm. buying real yeah, estate, absolutely. right? And so today we discussed on our podcast, we covered three main insights. Insight number one being the lowest housing supply in October history. Insight number two is prices are again surging. And insight number three is rising interest rates. So Nikib, you did discuss a lot about you know, your input and um, the advice and that you would share with your clients. But what are some final advice or thoughts that you would want to share with potential homeowners or potential home, uh, home buyers that you would say would be a, a good takeaway? Um, I, that's, that's, that's a really good question. I think the biggest thing to, to remember is that, uh, you know, you're, you're buying a hard asset. Mm -hmm. So really take the the time to consider it as, as your sort of, what is it going to be for you in five or, or, or 10 years? And what, what are your goals with acquiring uh, real estate or disposing of it, right? What do you want to do next? Or what, what's the next step going to be? So plan ahead. Um, in doing so, be patient. Um, and, uh, you know, from an agent's uh, standpoint, um, either working with buyers or sellers, uh, always think outside the box uh, and never forget the human element uh, that's involved. The market will ebb and flow. Uh, it's, you know, it's a fantastic market to be in if you're a listing agent right now. Um, but don't take it for granted. Don't take the fact that someone has entrusted you to represent their property mm-hmm. um, 
and and really put a hundred and ten percent of your 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 effort into it. Um, I think the biggest uh, mistake that someone can make is just that, just taking it for granted that yeah, you know what, I'm going to list it on Monday. I'll do an open house Saturday, Sunday, and it'll be sold. Um, you know, you could be doing your your seller a disservice. You could be doing your buyer a disservice if you're advising them. Look, there was 33 pairs of shoes out front. I think we need to offer subject free. No, you can you could you can achieve their goal, but you have to do the the work to get them there. I love this client first mentality that you have. You know, using the intelligence as well as you know the the stats and the data to back up everything that you're saying. And and um, yeah, it's it's really good advice. So if people have additional questions and they want to reach out to you and find out more. Where can they where can they connect with you? Um, you can call me direct. I'm always I'm always on 604-999-5887. You can email me at nkarim at rennie.com. Um, or I'm just working on my MySpace page right now, so <laughs> it should be up and running. behind on that one? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to visit that page, but you can also find uh, Nagib on Rennie.com if you want to find out more about his bio. So thank you so much, and this wraps up this episode of the Rennie Podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the latest Rennie review and our other intelligence informations on Rennie.com slash intelligence. Be the first to receive this information straight to your inbox. Register for the intelligence update. Nagiv, thank you so much for joining us today. We really thank appreciate you. your time. Ryan Berlin, Ryan Wise, thank you again. Chat soon. Right thank on. You. Thank you. Thank you. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production and is recorded on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, All resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com.